0: So as we move forward, and certainly we've like really struggled um, with power and electricity, how do we shift? And what are the challenges of shifting along? And when we look at the possible decommissioning of power stations, and in fact we are about to decommission, apparently, Kamati power station, then what does it mean over energy transition? It's bad enough not having energy when we purportedly haven't transitioned, but what happens when we do? Brian Kamanzi is an energy policy researcher at the Institute of Economic Justice, the IEJ. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh,
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Brian, let's um, start with uh, the Institute for Economic Justice. What is the work that you guys are doing?
1: Thanks. Yeah, in the energy space, we have been uh, trying to support the trade union movement. Uh, we've supported CASATU as it's trying to, uh, as it's in the process of updating its climate policy, and it's about to discuss that at its coming uh, conference. We've also done work in support of uh, labor negotiators in the South African Renewable Energy Master Plan and most recently have been working at Komati Power Station uh, on the invitation of the the uh, National Union of Mine Workers uh, in supporting them um, as they prepare to negotiate the terms of the closure of, of Komati Power Station in Mpumalanga.
0: So you raised so many interesting things there, Brian. So obviously this is a show where we try to take a very different lens on what is happening and there are a couple of things that you've highlighted one and I didn't know this that in 2022 in September that this year Kumati Power Station which is the coal fire powered plant is going to be decommissioned so that's the first thing and the second thing is how do we look at um, rethinking climate policies And also issues of work, as you mentioned, um, with the unions as well as we move forward. So let's first talk about the decommissioning, but then let's look at at the updating of policies that may support and help everybody in the process.
1: Yes, um, thanks for raising that. And yes, there isn't much awareness about uh, the fact that the closure is taking place. You know, this plant was built, Komachi was built in the 1960s. And the closure has actually been in the pipeline for several years now. Um, they are repowering and repurposing uh, projects due at the facility. Uh, repowering means that they're going to use, reuse some of the existing infrastructure to add new generation and storage capacity on site. That will include um, solar, battery, and also gas. In um, tenders for solar and gas have already gone out um, and have been published. And uh, repurposing is about making use of other assets like land to do other kinds of economic activities, yeah. which incl- which may include farming, uh, what they call microgrid assembly facilities. Now, in terms of uh, when you talk about what are some of the important climate policies, now what we've been seeing, we initially, we, we've been going to Komati since March, about once a month. And, and, and what we've discovered there is that a number of the workers have not really been adequately consulted And we're quite concerned about that because, you know, September's around the corner. And there's a big question about what happens to the workers and the communities around these uh, plants when they shut down. We know there are instances all over the world. There's there's been a lot of literature and film about what happens to towns that have been uh, left behind when industrial activity or mining closes down and leaves essentially ghost towns in their wake. So we know that there are plans to redo activities on those sites, but to what extent do they take into consideration these workers, what they, what they think about, how they want to continue with their lives, and also some of the complexities around what a transition might mean for them? You know, to what extent have they been included and to what extent does our design policy recognize, uh, you, you know, those concerns?
0: You know, Brian, you raised so many things. And the reason that we loved this story was that it does talk to let's find positive ways of shifting and making change. I mean, you talk about transitioning, you talk about repurposing. These are huge challenges. Is everybody sitting at the table and acknowledging and recognizing that uh, we all need to have some kind of social compact in order to move forward?
1: There, There's two answers to that. On the one <laughs> hand, there is an acknowledgement that that is necessary. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's unfortunate, but it's true. You know, yeah. you know we saw the, 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 the COP26 president, Alok Sharma, was actually at Komati um, a few weeks ago. And there was some meeting that took place with workers. On the other hand, you know, as I said, I've been going there um, since March, yeah. periodically, and a number of the workers that we met—workers that were doing maintenance, that were doing cleaning, that were also working as, on, on technical aspects on the plant in terms of maintenance—and they said they haven't heard anything. So it seems yeah. that, that consultation where it is happening is uneven, and there is a sense that um, you know there are people who are essential and non-essential, and who is considered important, and and who 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 gets different types of people are getting different lead times in terms of. Um, planning about their future and certainty about their future. So, I think that really what that underscores here is that consultation must be fair, it must include everybody, and it must be timeless, You know, yeah. we can't just be saying, you know, because somebody's a gardener or because somebody's a, con- uh, a temporary contract worker, that they um, are less important, that, that you know, that, that because their employment is less secure, that we don't owe, owe them the same level of respect and same level of consultation as a permanent staff member of ESCOM, you know, so those kinds of things need to be brought to the fore and we, and this is not an issue that's solely with ESCOM. We, we have, you know, there have been issues around transitions in the, in the mining sector for for decades now, probably as old as mining has happened in South Africa. You know, mines are are today required to have all kinds of plans when they close and rehabilitate. And how often do we see those implemented? So what will be different here? You know, I think because energy and climate change is such an important social issue, we have an opportunity here. And, I, and I'm so grateful that we're having this discussion on your show. Have an opportunity here to put this under the microscope and say, look, if we are going to transition, we really cannot leave these workers and families behind. Okay, Brian, uh, and and we must I, I, we must make to, sure the proper if, consultation happens.
0: I need to pause you because we need to go to a break, but I'd like to close off afterwards with the con the, the conversation around consultation, and then I'd add to it communication because I think the two are very closely aligned. So if we could just um, hold for a moment, take a break, and when we come back, we'll go to that. The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. We're chatting to Brian Kamanzi and we are closing off as we need to go to our SABC mandated feature for kids. But before we get there, let's uh, just finish off with Brian. He's an energy policy researcher at the Institute for Economic Justice. And we understand, of course, that in 2022, the Kamati Power Station, which is one of South Africa's oldest coal fired power stations and power plants, is going to be decommissioned. What happens? What is the process that takes place? And as we look at transitioning, and it may take a long while, slowly, but as we transition to different forms of power and energy, how do we ensure that it's fair? How do we ensure that there's consultation across uh, all communities and all participants? And how do we look at the communication of that? And uh, Brian, that's really where I'd like to close with you. Is This really is about communicating and communication is such a charged thing because it depends on language. It depends on who you're communicating to. As you say, there are some people who have full-time positions, other people who may not have full-time positions. How are we engaging in this particular process with this particular project and the unions, but also the corporates and the like?
1: Yeah, it, it seems like um, you know communication is not being delivered in an even-handed manner.
0: Yeah,
1: and it's very top down. Yeah, uh, and so it, you know it, there's conversations that are happening between the unions and between ESCOM uh, and and workers on the ground are often left behind. But then there's also you know as that process, as those negotiations and discussions happen between the union and, and ESCOM, there's also press statements being had uh, about the about the decommissioning. You know, as I said, the mm. president was on a tour, photos were taken, a press, a press conference was taking place on site. And at the same time, the workers at that very facility who have no idea what's going on and who are not privy to some of the, the big changes that are being promoted in the area. Uh, and so I think really there needs to be a principle here yeah. um, that communication... Communication is filtered down right down to every from everyone who is a gardener on site to the highest paid engineer on site. There needs to be a principle of equity, uh, but also that, that, that communication is tied to a consultation that is meaningful. That is to say, that people's in it's possible that um, uh, workers' concerns can actually be heard and actually have an impact on what happens to their future. Yeah. Because I think there's also a, a, a feeling that. Um, there's no point in having consultative processes that are simply tick box exercises and that are not uh, processes that, are, that, that people feel are genuine and that can actually yield results of change. And that, you know, if we don't have set up processes like these, we may end up in undesirable situations where it results in strike action or protest action. And, you know, often there's so much focus on the moment when that happens and not about all the processes that lead yeah. up to that moment of conflict. We can diffuse conflict by actually creating processes where negotiations can happen in advance and where we can actually ensure that the concerns of our workers and communities we don't want to leave behind in an, in an economy that's struggling, in an environment where it's unlikely that many of these people will be absorbed into the, into the workforce. We have an opportunity before we close this plant to make sure that these concerns are heard and that a, a real clear plan is communicated both to them and to South Africa so that we know that we step into this transition on the right foot.
0: Brian, an excellent conversation and some really thought-provoking issues. Brian kamanzi is an energy policy researcher at the Institute for Economic Justice and talking about what happens when you decommission a power station and what is that process of consultation and communication? Indeed, what is that social compact or contract that uh, is and must be resolved between various different stakeholders and sectors as well? I think that uh, it talks to Exactly what is critical in this country is do we spend enough time on the process and not just jump in at the last minute when suddenly all things are going wrong. It's 7.27.